don't see yourself change in three months time because your cells are doing a good job replicating and they get to replicate the same cells that they are. But over time you see them. And that's how truth works. That's how our spirits grow. Some takes time when you have an instant change and sometimes it takes a while. But when the right time comes for it to be shown, it will be shown. It will show itself. It will reveal itself. So take time to think about that. The other aspect of food and things is, do you know we are humans and we are social beings? And since the first time an individual comes into contact with another being is actually through food. The baby comes in contact with another being when it starts to nurse and the mother does the same for the baby. And that process of nursing, the baby and the mother develops a bond. Physiologically, psychologically, emotionally, there's something that exists there. And so food has always been a mainstay in us getting to know again, you know, knowing about another person. So when it's a social event, you'll always find food, be it joyous, be it not so joyous, but there's always been food there. And there's always, food is always involved even in, in getting to know another person. And the majority of dates would involve eating to some extent. A um, few months ago, we did come dine with us, and, and the aim of that was for us as a family to get to know one another over a shared meal. And there's something about something that's so, you know, eating is, is so natural, like breathing and, and doing, so it's so private as well. But there's, why is it that it helps break down these inhibitions when we eat? Because there's nothing pleasant or nice you know, seeing other people or showing yourself putting food in your mouth. But I think the Chinese, so I would remember my ama, which is my grandmother, and she would cook not so simple foods, but food that we enjoy. You know, as a child, my brother and I, we would be inducted to the kitchen so early. And so we would observe and see how they cook, and then my mom would cook her meals, and now it's my turn to cook the meals for my kids, and I hope that they will do the same for, for their kids and so on. Uh, so the, the, the process, there's no recipe paper written to follow. It is just done to the process of observing, eating, tasting, and observing again, eating and tasting, and doing the, the same thing happens on and on. In fact, as, as I think for some of us who have moved who've migrated to New Zealand, um, the first thing that we would look for is the food f from our country. And, and that's interesting. And then, so that's, it's not hard to find because you will have a plethora of uh, Asian shops and you know, Mediterranean food stuff if you're from the, the Mediterranean area. And you have different restaurants. And so it's easy. But it's, it's surprising to know that when a person comes into another culture, they say that the last thing that is often shed away is their eating habits. You could become, you could talk like something, you could learn a new language, you could dress up totally different, but it takes a while for your food to change. Sometimes it takes a generation. Again, 
He who has ears, let them hear. What are we talking about? We're talking about the physical stuff. But you know what God is saying? He's talking about eating and drinking as well. You know what the Bible talks about? You know, taste and see that the Lord is good. God wants to be involved with us. You know, He is like when we had the communion. Who is the host? He is the host. He is the meal. He is the invitation. He is everything. So when you taste God, you know, He wants to be the first person you come into know of. You know, as you taste and eat more of Him, that bond grows and that bond exists. And it becomes, in a way, as you meet with others, as you talk with other people and you share their lives with them, you develop a culture as well. A culture that you channel down to the generations. And, 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 and just us, um, it's not just about us speaking like what we used need to speak or dressing up like. It's far more important. It's what we eat. And we'll always long for um, the food that is our that has captured our hearts. And that is long for God. The other thing about eating and drinking is um, it's often associated with drives, you know, with our pleasure. I remember Greg talked about chocolate and he said, What do we eat? And someone said it's for pleasure. And that's right. We eat because we want, we derive something out of it. We enjoy it. In fact, in Philippians 3.18, Apostle Paul talks about the God of the stomach. You know, it says the destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Another translation says their God is their appetite. Their glory is their shame because they set their minds on earthly things. The drive. You know, the, we talk about eating and drinking, but the Spirit shows that it's far more than just the physical act. It speaks about a, something greater. It speaks about the desire for things, desire for things other than God as well. And so, it's not that we, it's not saying that we should abstain from food, you know, to go ultra long fast and to hate life and hate everything in this world. No, that's not what God is saying. Because that's a thin line. You could be utterly detached from the world and still love it. Or you could take the path of the terrorist and be utterly detached from the world and hate everything of it. So that's a thin line that you need to tread. And that's what um, God is saying about food. He's not saying about that we should not eat. But let not eating be the only thing that keeps us where we are. So, why is it the um, why do we have to talk of food? Why does God have to use food as an example for to reveal you know the the, the the secrets of His kingdom? It's because that's how practically is. We have a practical God, and God uses everything that's in the world to speak about the realities that exist. The world that we see. Is created for a purpose. He is a purposeful God. Um, and how do we see that? We can only see that through the Spirit. In Psalms 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of His hands. 
Day after day, they pour forth speech. And night after night, they reveal truth. They reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They have no words. No sound is heard from them. And yet their voices go out through all the earth. The, the reason why God does that, because God knows that we live in this physical world. And so all throughout the scriptures, you will see that God constantly uses the things that are the physical to demonstrate something of the eternal. Um, it's like if I have a child and the child only has a few vocabulary of his own. To, for me to explain something complex, I have to break it down and speak it in his terms. And that's how he is. So in times of Abraham and Moses, God will use the stars of the sky, the sand of the shore, uh, and the, in the shore to demonstrate what he wanted to express. The same way he would speak in Jesus' spoke in Matthew 25 to 7. It talks about you being the light of the earth, uh, light of the earth, yes, the salt of the earth. You know, he speaks about you being, um, him being the bread of life, being the, the food source. That's if, if you partake, you live eternally. And that's how he is. But we, to other people, those are just part, it comes out as parables. But if you're, if, if our eyes and our ears are open to discern, then we will be able to see, you know, in the limited thing that is present, you'll be able to see the depth and the, the infinite things of God's truth. And that was what Jacob experienced when his eyes were open. He said, surely I didn't realize that God is here. You know, surely I didn't realize that he was, you know, the, God is always with me. Um, and it takes a while. It takes God's grace for us to be able to see him in that cycle. So going back to eating and drinking, how, why is it so important? It is actually an operations mode in the kingdom. Although not in the physical way that we do it. We do it through chewing and digestion as its part. But in the kingdom, it's totally a different way. But it's still part of it. Because it's spoken of in the scriptures in at least 30 times. And the way to see it, let's go back to Genesis 3. And that's where it all started. God created the garden full of lovely things for Eve and Adam to eat. And do you know what was the act that caused the fall of man? It was not murder. It was not um, adultery, although there's no one Adam can have an affair with. <laughs> it was not lying. But it was the act of eating. Um, you know, Adam and Eve ate from the garden. You know, the only fruit, only tree that God forbid them to eat was the tree, uh, fruit, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So can we say that they were already eating from the tree of life? Yes, they were. But it, they, do they know what is evil? They know what is evil because God told them, don't eat from the fruit. But what was it that drove them to eat? It was the desire to know evil. It was their appetite. It was the God of the stomach. It was the desire for something else other than what was there. So in choosing to eat, remember the chicken? How intimate you get to know the chicken that you eat? 
in choosing to eat something that is not of the Lord, they fell. And they, they were separated and they had lost the opportunity to eat from the tree of life. But God in his mercy did not leave us as we are. He brought the tree of life back to us. And Jesus said, I am the bread from heaven. I am the living water. And that he who eats from me will live forever. Jesus said he is the tree of life. And this tree of life did not come of us running after it and trying to eat, get it. But it is he who comes to us. It is he who comes to offer himself. He reconciled us to the Lord so that we may, as we become like Adam and Eve, partake once again of the tree, come to know God for who he is and have that fellowship with him. What is eternal life? Eternal life is that they may know you, Jesus said, and that they may know the one that you have sent. The Lord, as Haley said this morning, the Father's arms are open wide and is always preparing a feast before us every time we come to Him as an assembly every Sunday, you know, when we have one-to-one with Him in the mornings, in the evenings, or when we come for life group, for discipleship group, for, for when we have coffee with others. God is a relational being. And that is always at the core of him. Remember, he wants to have fellowship with you. That's what food is. Um, when we had a communion earlier this morning, we took a piece of bread, drink juice. It's not meant to satisfy, right, physically. Uh, and that's what the purpose. Nothing in this world would satisfy us physically. Um, and that was what Jesus said. You know, you could drink water from this well, and you go thirsty again. But if you're able to see who is it that's asking for this water, who is it that's hosting this meal, who is it that has this water and food to drink, then you will ask from him and he will give it to you. There is something that happens whenever we dine with the Lord. And there's so much that happens. And it is us that is changed. In the Old Testament... Countless times you'd look how people are very particular with the people they dine with. You know, the Egyptians don't like to eat with the Jews because they, they look at shepherds as, you know, the lowest of the professions. And the same with the, some of the Jews in the earlier times. They don't like to dine with the Gentiles because they feel like they get defiled if they eat with the Gentiles. But that's not so with God. God wants to dine with Gentiles. God wants to dine with His people. Because he doesn't change. He is not the one who gets affected by the people who dine, he dines with. It's the people who dines with that gets to receive from him. Now, again, look at what Greg was saying. If he were to prepare a meal for you and you will come to his house, but you don't eat it. You know, what irony is there? But the sad thing is, what if you don't see it? And you keep complaining that there's no food. When in fact the table is loaded with lots of stuff. Or, or you, you decide to go on and just order takeaway when there's food in the table. 
So, discerning and eating from God, discerning is actually a very important key there. Is knowing who is the food and who is hosting. So, in the parable of the wedding banquet, for example, when the king invited everyone, people who got the invitation, those who didn't discern who was it that inviting them, prioritized other things. And even those who came, not everyone discerned what the event was for. You know, it's just going to a wedding in gentles and, you know, tank tops. And that is also not acceptable. Think of Mary and Martha, you know. This is an example of Jesus came. When in the physical, Jesus would come to Mary's house and Martha's house. Who was the host? Martha was the host. And so Martha looked at Christ and looked at how tired he was and how, you know, he might be hungry. So she went out and started preparing stuff and doing all these things for him, and which is rightly so. And Christ would, would appreciate what she's doing. But there's something more important that Christ was saying. Mary, on the other hand, was able to look beyond the tired, physical, hungry Christ and see that the Christ who said, you know, the Son of Man come to serve and not to be served and to give his life for many. And when Mary saw who was the real host, she was able to reach out and receive from him. And that was what Christ said. You know, he, Mary did a better thing. He didn't say, Martha, you're doing it wrong, but Mary did a better thing because Mary was able to discern the host and what is being you. And Jesus did the same all throughout the meals that he has been. He's been invited to countless meals. He attended the, the meal of um, with the Pharisees. And imagine if you were God who is the VIP, you know, the one who's most deserving of the owner seat, you know, who, who deserves to, you know, the, the, the VIP of a party. And yet he sees all these people positioning themselves, trying to sit at the, the, the right table or trying to position. Here he is, Christ, who Simon didn't, Simon the Pharisee didn't even bother to give him water to wash his feet. And he was there, God himself, sitting and seeing all these people trying to manipulate themselves to the head of the table. But um, he didn't say anything. He just said, you know, um, you humble yourself before, and it is the, the owner of the house or the head who would position you to the right place. But there were two ladies who, among the guests, was able to see who was the host, who was the true host in the event. The lady who came and washed his feet with her hair, and the lady who broke the jar of precious perfume on her feet, on his head. These two were able to discern who was the host, and they acted accordingly. So, the invitation to us is, again, God, Christ is both the invitation, he is the host and the meal itself. But he is involved in every aspect of it because that's what he wants from us. He wants us to have fellowship with him. But sadly, it is only a handful who could actually see and receive. And the key to that is what Paul was saying when he was talking about the community. He said, let us examine ourselves. You know, let us see our hearts. Do we come 
to serve or do we come to receive? You know, and let us position ourselves accordingly. Um, when you talk of dining with the Lord, the the picture that comes to me is you know the, the nice story is the story of David and the grand, the son of Jonathan, Mephibosheth, um, in Second Samuel chapter nine. Mephibosheth is is a long name, hard to pronounce. Um, it means you know a mouth of shame or a man of shame. He's the son of Jonathan, and and when his grandfather Saul was killed and Jonathan his father was killed. He, as a child, I think he made an accident and he was crippled. And so he lost everything. He lost his land, he lost his property, and he was in hiding. And imagine him receiving an invitation to dine with the king, with the new king. How terrifying that would be. Because in those times, if a new king comes to power, the first thing that the new king does would be to wipe out all the descendants of the previous king so that the throne would be secure. So here is a man who is crippled who, who, and he gets invited to King David to have dinner with him. And so he approached King David naturally trembling. In fact, he called himself just like what the lady Called, uh, talked of herself to Jesus. She called himself a dead dog. What does the king I know, want of a dead dog like me? Because I am deserving of death uh, to, to, to the fact. But he was surprised how David reacted. Remember, as another background, David is a king who, in another incident, actually prohibited all the crippled and the blind from entering Jerusalem from entering the temple. So I will not go into that detail. But this is the man who didn't want cripples in and then invited someone who is crippled into, who is the son of his enemy, who is the enemy of his enemy, into his household to have dinner with him. And behold what David said. It's just an example of what, you know, what we are to the Lord. He said, I invited you. I want to show my loving kindness to you, not because of you, but because of my faithfulness to your father, Jonathan. You know, Israel, what did God say? I chose you not because you are the greatest of nations. I chose you because of my love and my faithfulness to Abraham. It is not because of us that he has chosen us. And he has chosen us now. He's saying, you know, he has chosen us not because of our merits, but because of his love and his faithfulness to his son. His son deserves a bride that is glorious, and the father is keen to make one, to find one. And he's, he's keen to show his loving kindness on us because of that. And so this is us. Mephibosheth is us. Once separated, deserving of nothing but death, you know, an enemy of God, but invited into his household, restored of everything that we have lost, and gladly asked, you know, asked to, be, to eat with him and to dine with him. Um, so the meal of Mephibosheth is life-changing because it changed 
his loyalties as well. And even down the line, if you read the story, when David was exiled, many people should join David. That was how changed he was. So in the meal, you will see someone who is coming in humility gets exalted. In a meal before the Lord, that thing always happens. Um, there's always rewards that's given, and there's always, in, if not rewards, words or punishment that is handed out. You'll be amazed that if you look at the meals incidents in the Bible throughout, you'll find that. You know, when Abraham had a meal for Isaac, what happened? Isaac was restored. It was Ishmael that was sent out. When the angels had a meal with Lot, their family was saved, but the whole Sodom was punished. When there was a meal with the king of Persia and Esther, Mordecai was elevated, Haman was punished. When Jesus had the meal with the Pharisees, he spoke highly of the lady who wiped his feet with her hair, but he has words for Simon. When he was in Martha's and Mary's residence, he spoke of, he praised Mary, but he um, encouraged, or he had words for Martha too. So these things happen every time a meal is served by the Lord. And the key is, is that it's, it's not about whether we're deserving or not. We don't. But it is how we approach and how we see. Because even in the last great wedding feast, you will have that. You know, you'll have the separation of the goats and the sheep. And the goats will go in. The five ladies, uh, no, the, 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 the wise virgins will go in and the others will go out. So that's the cycle comes up. The, that is the cycle. So there is no hindrance to this revelation of God. But it is our attitude. This is the difference lies in our hearts. And that's what Paul was saying when we talk of the communion. It's not just about the communion. It's every time when you are in the presence of God. Um, what is the state of our heart? Because it says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, but to the proud he knows from afar. You know, People nowadays, all of us, including us, have to constantly wrestle with this God of the stomach. You know? You know? Adam and Eve were in the garden, they ate of the tree of life, and yet they wanted something else. The Israelites, they were given manna. But until a time, they said they were tired of manna, they wanted meat. You know, that is always going to be the struggle in our life whenever we, we go with God. You know, there's always been going to be something that allures us, that, you know, that takes our attention. And that was what Paul is always admonishing us. As the, serv- uh, the serpent beguiled Eve, let us not be taken away from the pure and simple devotion to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with the profane. Nothing wrong with, you know, eating and drinking, going to marriage and all this stuff. But to live through life undiscerning, unaware, at the expense of the eternal is too high a cost. You know, Jesus said, you know, do not worry about your life, what you eat or what you drink, about your body or what you wear. It's not life more important than food and your body more important than clothes. 
Why do you worry about these things? You know, Jesus said, So do not worry about what we eat or what we drink. For the pagans run after this. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all of this will be given to you. Pagan. He used the word pagan here. Paul used the same words pagan when he referred to Esau. Esau who sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Now, what does that birthright mean? He was hungry. He should eat, right? But that birthright, in a way, resemble, in a way, represents the word of God, the promises of God to Abraham. You know, it represents the inheritance that is offered not just on to Jacob but to Esau as well, being a descendant of Abraham. But Esau at that time was. You know, he loved to go out, he loved to hunt, he loved to get something immediately. He didn't desire the inheritance. Because when you talk of the inheritance, it talks about the resources of God. It also talks about the ability to govern the resources. Esau didn't want to take time to nurse, uh, to, to look after the fields, to look after the sheep and stuff. He want, So at that time he was hungry. He said, I don't need the birthright. I, I'm hungry, so I sell it. Just like, you know, the prodigal son who squandered the father's inheritance for his own thing. And so when, when Paul talked about, Brother Paul talked about the seed, you know, when my food, which you don't know anything about. And so in summary, the Lord wants us to dine with him. And food is essential to life. Food is essential to community. It helps build community. It helps build culture, both in the physical as well as in the spiritual. God uses food to um, can we move to the next slide, bro? God uses food to represent something of his kingdom and how it operates. Um, we get to know, just as we get to know a dish by eating it, um, He wants us to get to know Him as well through the Spirit. Jesus came to set everything right, and He demonstrated what truth should be. That eternal life is knowing Him, is knowing God. Eternal, that He is the bread of life. He is the source of life. He is the path of life Himself. Psalms 16 verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. For in your presence there is fullness of joy. From your right hand are pleasures evermore. What did Paul says? The kingdom of heaven is not about eating and drinking. It is, what is it? It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So God invites us to go beyond physical food and pleasure. He is actually laying a table before us. You know, Our life on earth is nothing but a bowl of soup. What does Paul says? He says, and not Paul, the psalmist says that our life is short. It's like the grass in the field. It's like a vapor that disappears. 
Nothing, all of these are passing pleasures and the cares of the world will only gratify and dissatisfy the immediate needs. If our interest is only the immediate gratification of what the world has to offer, we're actually saying, what does the kingdom of God profit me now? And like Esau, let us not despise our inheritance. There is a higher calling on all of us beyond what we do, beyond the work that we do. There is an inheritance that exists for us. And, and that's, I think, what we should always be looking for is just as Abraham looked at the, the city, um, he valued it more than anything that the world has to offer. So Colossians 3, 2 says that I set our minds on things above, not on the things of the earth. So when we go to the Lord, let us always go in humility. As he said, as, as we humble ourselves for the Lord, he will exalt. And so there's going to be a feast that's coming. A feast. Um, and in that feast, the Lord will always will be giving out rewards. He will also be giving judgment as well. And we have to be careful because those people who would come thinking that they are deserving to be in there, unfortunately, might find themselves out of the feast. But it is those who don't, who come knowing where they are and who they come from, where they come from, actually get to receive it. You know what did the serpent told Eve? He said, if you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened, right? And so their eyes were open, really. Their eyes were open to the physical world and everything becomes about the physical world and every, their lives were revolving around the physical world. But Jesus came and he still also, if we partake of him, our eyes will also be open too. Our eyes will open to the spiritual. Remember the road to Emmaus? He was feeding them with words as they were walking. They were eating spiritually, but they didn't see. It was only when he broke the bread that their eyes were able to see him. And it is, I think, I think the, the call on us is in every situation where we are, whether we're, we're alone with the Lord, whether we are with one another, let us be conscious of who is it that is the host, who is it that's being offered. Um, this morning, I am not the host. Jaden and his team is not the host. The cafe team, the discipleship, I know, the Welcome Connect team are not the hosts. The Lord is the host. And let us come meekly before Him and receive from Him. Um, Revelation 3.20 says, If anyone hears my voice and so discerning opens the door, I will come and eat with him and him with me. And Lord, we just thank you for today. We thank you for you are God and you are always with arms open wide preparing a feast for us. In whatever season in life, in whatever situation, Lord, just like what David says, the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It is not about the situation. It is that you are there. And whenever you are there, Lord, there is fullness of joy. There are pleasures evermore. We thank you, Father, for this day. We thank you for this morning.
Uh, go before us, go with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.